1: We're going somewhere dark, somewhere dangerous. Most people would never dare enter the place we're going. There's no telling what horrors we'll find, what terrors we'll uncover. Don't say I didn't warn you. We might discover terrible monsters lurking there. Be careful, they could follow you out. Or maybe they're already inside you. Are you afraid? Good, now you are ready to enter the warning woods. I own a small thrift store. It's not a big chain store like Goodwill or Salvation Army, so I have to rely on more than donations to keep stock up. I spend a lot of time looking for curb treasures, things people put out with their trash but might still have some value. It's my experience that everything has a price, and it may be low, but those little sales add up. Monday is when most of the trash is picked up around here, so Sunday evening is when most people haul their junk to the curb that's when I hit the streets. Last week I found a bike that, get this, had a loose chain but was otherwise perfect. Some lazy brat just didn't want to fix it. I found a set of bar stools, a flat screen TV that's outdated but works, and a box of VHS tapes. Most of the tapes were in their cases or had movie titles printed on them. There were a lot of Disney classics, Bambi, Cinderella, Pinocchio. Those always go quick. The box contained a few unmarked, unlabeled tapes, too, which I had to review before putting out on the floor. The last thing I need is an angry mom suing me because she bought her kids some 90s porn by accident. Before I review any tapes, ever, I always call my girlfriend Charlotte. Don't tell her I just called her Charlotte, though. She goes by Charlie with most people, but she makes me call her Chuck. I don't know why. She just... Well... I think you'd have to meet her to fully understand. Chuck is vintage. Is retro. Everything she's into is old. Music, movies, video games, you name it. Even her clothes are vintage. Most of what she wears are concert tees she finds on eBay and old jeans she buys at my store. She comes to my store almost every day. That's how we met, actually. And then we started dating because of a misunderstanding. I thought she came in so often, always chatting me up, because she liked me. It caught her completely off guard when I asked her out. Turns out she was really just coming in to shop and happens to be chatty. She wasn't completely repulsed by me, so she went out with me anyway. I think the other reason Chuck was surprised when I asked her out was because she's not what you might call pretty. I find her attractive, but she's no cover girl. I'm not being mean, she'll tell you that too. She has a full moon face with a thick nose and thin lips. Her eyebrows are a little bushy, and if she doesn't pluck them at least weekly, they start growing together. But what I love about Chuck, what I find attractive, is how totally Chuck she is. Most self-proclaimed quirky people are just acting the way they think a quirky person should act. They seek constant attention by showing everyone how different they are, but they all have the same brand of uniqueness, and it's always annoying. Trust me, those types always come into my store. They're always loud because they want to make sure everyone else there knows there's somebody special nearby. Chuck is different, though. She doesn't have to be boisterous to get attention. She genuinely doesn't want attention. And she doesn't copy anyone. She doesn't go out of her way to let you know she's different. She just is. There's only one Chuck, and there will only ever be one Chuck. And that's what I love. So, last Monday night, I texted Chuck a photo of the stack of unlabeled tapes and received an instant response. OMW. That means on my way, in case you don't know. By the time I finished popping some popcorn, I heard Chuck letting herself in. Where'd you find them? She asked as soon as the door closed behind her. Please tell me it was some dumpy old house. Unlike me, Chuck always crosses her fingers and wishes for vintage porn. The more ridiculous, the better. If it were up to me... I'd shut that stuff off right away. If I watch too much of those weird old videos, I start to feel like nothing can ever be sexy again. Like sex is just a big joke we all play on each other. Chuck, on the other hand, laughs and laughs. She'll store all the corny phrases the actors say and drop them on me at random times. And okay, I'll admit that can actually be pretty funny. I told Chuck, no, this box came from a decent neighborhood, sadly. Lower middle class, chain link fences instead of white picket. Don't worry though, you never know where a good creep might be living. You're telling me, did I ever tell you about the weirdo I dated from Collington Heights? No, she had not, and I didn't really want her to. Collington Heights, in case you're wondering, is one of the wealthiest subsections of this town. I avoided any more discussion of past weirdos by holding up a few tapes. Which one should we start with? We were both getting bored after about 30 minutes. Most of the tapes were of low-budget TV movies. The only entertainment came from the old commercials. What's that one? Chuck asked as the pile of tapes dwindled. She pointed to a mini cassette I hadn't really paid any attention to. Ooh, a camcorder tape, I said, smiling. Do you still have that adapter? She asked. I did. I kept an adapter on hand mostly for fun. Those camcorder tapes never have anything I can sell on them, but we used to love peeking into some stranger's past together. I found my adapter, slipped the mini cassette in, and then stuck that into the VCR. The machine swallowed the tape, and black and white fuzz rained down the screen. Then the screen went blue. White letters and numbers appeared in the lower right corner. Feb 2, 1997. 0306. Ooh, 3 in the morning. This could be fun, Chuck said. I questioned her with my eyes. Don't you know? 3 a.m. is the witching hour. Well, I don't know what time zone this was filmed in, I said. Hmm, Chuck paused to think, then said, I don't think it matters. I think it kind of goes from time zone to time zone like the new year. I've never actually thought about that. You're welcome, I said. Just then, a giant hand appeared on screen. It pulled away a second later, revealing a middle-aged, bearded guy with a big belly and overalls. He looked like the type who'd play jugs in a bluegrass band that covers 80s rock hits. He smiled at the camera and started speaking. Hi. No, that's not right. Hello. Nah, still not there. The man drew a deep breath and took a step back. He shook his arms a little, trying to relax. Hey there, I'm Ghouly Greg, here to tell you a little bit about my ghost hunting and trapping services. Oh my God, we found a real ghostbuster! Chuck snorted. The goofy old guy continued, apparently satisfied with this introduction. Have you ever seen static when you rub your skin across a freshly washed set of sheets in the dark? Have you ever seen a ghost? If the answer to the first question is yes and the second question is no, then rest easy. Your home is probably not haunted. People ask me what's the best way to see the ghosts and I tell them it's static. When tiny lightning bolts flash on the sheets or when your kid rubs a balloon in their hair, ghosts just can't help themselves. They show up looking for that sweet, sweet static electricity. "'What is this guy on?' I asked, laughing. "'What do you mean? He's Ghouly Greg,' Chuck chuckled. "'See, what I've got right here will show you what I mean.' "'Gooly Greg said ominously. "'He lifted a towel off of something next to him "'that I hadn't noticed before. "'It looked like a crystal ball the size of a basketball, "'but with a smaller, black ball in the center. "'Gooly Greg reached behind the pedestal "'on which the ball rested and flipped a switch. "'Tendrils of purple light shot out of the dark core "'and produced spiderweb patterns "'across the inner surface of the glass. "'I've seen one of those before,' Chuck said. "'Yeah, me too,' I replied.' I think it was at the science museum where we took field trips as kids. Oh, yeah. Ghouly Greg placed a hand on the glass ball, and all of the purple energy converged into a single wavy lightning bolt that pulsed between the center point and the glass beneath his palm. He said, Now, you might have seen one of these before. Chuck's hand shot up, and we laughed. This here is called a plasma globe. That electrode in the middle is shooting off a ton of static electricity. He paused, took a few steps back, and reached out his hand. He said, Now watch this. He flipped a switch and every light on the screen went out. Every light, except for the purple glow of the plasma globe. It spasmed and pulsed in the dark, only faintly illuminating a few feet of space nearby. I said, He's wrong about, but Chuck's hand clamped over my mouth and she shushed me. What is that? She whispered. I strained my eyes at the screen, trying to see what she meant. Then it became clear. At first, I thought I was seeing ghoulie Greg's purple outline in the dull light. A person's crossed arms were clearly visible at the edge of the haze. Then two legs appeared, stiff and straight. I wished the plasma globe's light would remain steady. It was impossible to make out the full figure with the light continually dancing. Greg stepped into the light, looking like a real ghoul. Do you see him? he asked. He pointed a thumb over his shoulder at the flickering figure behind him. "'What I see is some crappy special effects, Mr. Gooly Chuck laughed. "'Go ahead, Jim,' gooly Greg said, as if responding to Chuck, as if he had expected his audience to doubt. The flickering man stepped forward, and his full body lit up. The edges of his form glowed neon purple. He had no describable features, as if he were made out of molten glass. Every inch of his body looked smooth. He didn't appear to be wearing clothes, and yet I didn't see any genitals, nipples not even a belly button. Jim, as gooly Greg had called him, reached out and placed a hand on the plasma globe. The plasma bolts converged on his palm. Jim glowed brighter. More of his features filled in. Hems and wrinkles of clothing, patches of facial hair, and minute details like fingernails and wrinkles flashed and rippled across his body as the energy pulsed through him. And then, with a sadist's grin, gooly Greg bent over and unplugged the plasma globe. The screen went black, then bright blue. The tape had ended. Wait, that's it? No explanation? Chuck asked loudly as she sat forward. I thought it was just crappy special effects, I teased. Besides, he was totally off on the science anyway. Those plasma balls don't have anything to do with static. That glowing energy is plasma, and it lights up that way because the glass is filled with argon and neon and stuff. Thanks, nerd. I still want to know how Jim showed up. Wait. You think that was real? I asked, genuinely astounded. If Jim, or whatever that was, had just stayed back and glowed a little bit, I wouldn't believe it for a second. But when he touched it, all that detail. RJ, this tape is from 1997. Sure, a movie studio could have produced that, but some old guy in his basement? Forget it. Not back then. You ever seen a personal computer from 97? No way he did that digitally, and no way was that a camera trick. Wow, you're all in, I said. Are there any more of these? Chuck asked. Not the little camcorder tapes, no. She said, take me there, and stared at me, deadpan. Chuck, we don't know where he filmed this. Yeah, we do. Why would this guy's camcorder tape end up in some random person's trash? He either gave it to them, or he used to live in their house and they found it. She gasped suddenly and gripped my shoulder. Or he still lives there. RJ, what if we could meet Ghoulie Greg? That guy looked at least 60 and 97. He'd be, what, in his mid-80s by now, at least. What are the odds he's even still alive? What does it hurt to find out? She asked. I didn't have a satisfying answer. Okay, here's what we do. Chuck laid out her plan, which I dubiously agreed to, and we headed out to the house where I had found the tape. She knocked on the door while I stood back and tried not to look as awkward as I felt. A man opened the door, but not Ghouly Gregg. This guy was barely older than Chuck and I. He didn't say anything, just stared at us, probably expecting some kind of sales pitch or a religious invitation. Hi, is Greg here? Chuck asked. We had agreed not to mention the tape until we could confirm Greg's presence. If the person currently living in the house didn't know him, we would drop the whole thing. Uh, you mean Greg steeple? The young man asked. Without missing a beat, Chuck answered. Yep, is he around? The young man looked confused, but nodded. He almost stepped aside to let us in, but then seemed to think better of it. He asked, You two aren't part of that ghost hunter club he started, are you? I would have expected Chuck to lie and say we were, but she made a shrewd assessment of the man's tone. She answered, Oh, no, not at all. But then she made things worse. We just found an old tape of his and wanted to- She didn't get to finish because the door slammed in her face. Rude, Chuck said. She turned to me and shrugged. Oh, well, plan B, I guess. What's plan B? I asked. She grabbed my sleeve and pulled me away from the doorstep. As we walked back to my car, she explained, every old person still has a landline. That's just a fact. So? I asked. So? Well, isn't it obvious? Greg's number will be listed on the phone book, and now we have his last name. I don't have a phone book, do you? I asked. They're online now, dummy. Duh. I pulled the car around the corner so we were out of sight from the house while Chuck pulled up the local Yellow Pages on her phone. She searched and found one Gregory Steeple and gave his listed number a call. "'Hello?' a familiar voice answered. "'It was the young man who had opened the door, not Ghoulie Greg.' "'Um, hi,' Chuck said, giving me a nervous glance. "'I'm looking for someone named Gregory Steeple.' The young man replied, "'Sorry, Dad's not—' "'Wait a minute.' Is this that chick who was at my door a few minutes ago? When Chuck didn't reply, the young man took her silence as an affirmative answer. He said, Listen, I don't know what your interest in my dad is all about, but you should know he has dementia, and it's pretty bad. Please just leave us alone. Chuck's entire demeanor shifted. Not just her tone on the phone, but her body language. I could tell she genuinely felt sorry for this young man and his father. I'm so sorry. That must be so difficult for you. Is it just you and your dad? The young man hesitated but answered, Yeah. Well, listen, uh, what's your name? Patrick. Okay, listen, Patrick. I'm Charlie and I'm with my boyfriend, RJ. Would it be okay for us to just try talking to your dad? We found an old tape of his and we can explain how later, but maybe it would help jog his memory a bit to talk about it. We're wondering if he made more of them. Hang on. Do these tapes have anything to do with Jim? Patrick asked. As a matter of fact, yes, they do, Chuck said. She looked at me with big eyes. Okay. All right. Come on back. I'll let you talk to him, but if it seems like he's upset, you have to leave. Got it? Chuck smiled. Got it. We turned around and went back to the house. Gooly Greg, or just Greg Steeple as he was now known, had lost his gut and much of his color. Sadly, I don't think the weight loss occurred over the past 20 years, but rather the past two or three. His skin looked rubbery and yellow, a side effect of his medication, no doubt. He had an oxygen tank beside his bed from which he was breathing when Patrick brought us in to meet him. Dad, you've got some visitors. Greg turned toward us and raised a thin eyebrow. He said, I'm sorry, do I know you? I'm embarrassed to say I forget sometimes. Oh, that's all right, Mr. Steeple. Chuck replied. You've never met us before. My name is Charlie, and this is RJ. Nice to meet you, RJ, Greg said to Chuck. We looked at each other apprehensively. Maybe this wasn't such a good idea. Greg, I found an old tape of yours, I said. Maybe you'll remember making it. You called yourself Ghoulie Greg, and... Greg laughed more heartily than I thought his caved-in chest could handle. It was a pleasant sound that warmed the room and at least momentarily dispelled some of my doubts. Ghouly Greg, I remember those days. I thought I would be on TV, Greg smiled. He sat up a little straighter in bed with Patrick's help. Did you see anything surprising, he asked me. Yeah, that's actually why we're here, I said. Good. Could you go get my son? I think it's time for... I'm right here, Dad, Patrick said. He gave us a look that said, see, I told you. Oh, good we have guests. This is… I'm sorry, who are you? He asked me. And with that small sample, I'll just say the rest of our conversation with Gregory Steeple went about how you'd expect. I'm not going to embarrass him by writing out the rest of it. Suffice it to say, we did not get any useful information from Greg, but his son seemed to appreciate our effort. When we finally wrapped up the circular conversation and left Greg to rest, Patrick offered us a look into Greg's old study to see if we could find what we were looking for. Why are you helping us? I asked. We're just a couple of strangers who knocked on your door. I have selfish motives, Patrick admitted as he led us through the house. You mentioned Jim on the phone. Well, Dad talks about Jim more than he talks about my mom or my grandparents or any family at all. The thing is, I never met anyone named Jim. About a year ago, Dad had one of his last really good days, and I asked him who Jim was. He told me, completely seriously, that Jim is the man who lived here before him. He said Jim died in this house and his spirit is still here. He told me he tried to help Jim, but he wasn't specific about how. So when you showed up talking about a tape, I want to know what you saw, what my dad might have done. We looked through Greg's small office until Chuck found a box in the closet labeled G.G., She opened it and found a neat row of tapes the same size and brand as the one we had watched at my house. "'I wonder,' Patrick said. I threw all those other old tapes out on the curb because Dad saw them one day and kind of freaked out. He went on this rant about how he doesn't know where Jim went. He started throwing tapes around like he was looking for a certain one and just got angrier and angrier when he couldn't find it. That's why I got rid of them. "'The one he wanted must have been in this box,' I said. "'Do you have a VCR?' Oh, I'm sure Dad had one downstairs. Let's go see. Patrick led us to the basement, and I almost didn't go down. Let me preface this by saying I'm not a big believer in the supernatural, and I've never claimed to have any psychic capabilities. I'm not sure how to explain what I felt at the top of those stairs, though. Something in the air felt cold, and I'm not talking about temperature. I felt out of place, like I wasn't supposed to be there. Like something didn't want me there. But for the sake of not appearing insane, I proceeded down the stairs after Patrick. Chuck didn't seem to pick up on anything either, so I decided I was being paranoid. Greg had an old tube TV with a VCR hooked up. Patrick sat on the arm of an old couch, and I sat in the middle of it. Chuck didn't sit at first. She went over to a closed door, opened it, and said, RJ, here it is. What'd you find? Patrick asked before I could stand up. "'This room is where your dad made the Ghoulie Greg video,' Chuck exclaimed. She couldn't contain her excitement. She ran into the room, but a moment later, she came backing out slowly. "'Something's wrong,' she said. That cold feeling I had intensified. I felt goosebumps break out along my arm. "'What is it?' I asked. "'I don't know. Just something in that room. Ever been in, like, a prison?' she asked. Patrick and I both shook our heads. Well, it feels sort of like that. Like there's a lot of pent-up anger in there. Chuck had never claimed any sort of psychic ability either, so this revelation freaked me out. I told her to try shutting the door, which she did. Let's just check out those tapes, she said, coming back and sitting next to me. Where should we start? Patrick asked. I looked through them and picked out the most recent one. It was filmed almost a year after the one I had taken home. The tape started with a close-up of Greg's hand again, which moved away to reveal a more tired version of Ghoulie Greg than the previous tape. He began. Hey folks, it's Ghoulie... Let's just go with Greg on this one. I hate to be so serious, but... He took a deep breath. I'm sorry to say I haven't been able to find Jim. He's been missing since our last video. Folks, I'd love to say I think he's moved on, but after what happened... Oh my god, pause it! Chuck suddenly shouted. She jumped up from the couch and beat Patrick to the pause button on the VCR. She mumbled to herself as she searched the button panel, then hit rewind. She went back a few seconds, then stopped to stare at the screen. Holy, do you guys see this corner? She asked. We both shook our heads. Okay, look at this spot. She pointed to the far right corner of the room on the screen. It was the corner just behind the door Chuck had closed a minute earlier. On the screen, there was a thick shadow in that corner that almost made the door invisible. Since Greg appeared to be using some extra lighting for the camera, I hadn't thought anything of the dark shadow in the corner before. But when Chuck hit play again, I saw what had caught her eye. When Greg mentioned Jim being missing, the shadow moved like a child hiding under a blanket. The shadow was masking something, and Greg didn't seem to know it was there. The rest of the video, which we watched in total silence, was just Greg detailing the last experiment he had done with Jim. He had tried using an electrical trap of his own design to capture Jim's spirit. His plan was to take the trap with Jim's spirit inside to his grave to reunite the man with his body and hopefully allow him to move on. Instead, the trap had short-circuited and knocked out the power to the whole block. Now, if you saw my last video, you know that's where it got cut off, he explained which is weird because this camera operates on battery power. I think my trap set off some kind of electromagnetic pulse, and I'm worried it attracted something to me. The shadow in the corner behind Greg shifted again. It seemed to expand. So we're just going to try this one more time to see if I can find Jim. Greg pulled the sheet off of his plasma globe, just as he had done in the first video. Greg turned out the main light, then went behind the camera and shut off what I'm pretty sure were just a couple of flashlights. The screen was black, but we could still see Greg moving around in the dark. There we go, he said, and neon purple lightning shot through the globe. Okay, Jim? Jim, are you here? Where'd you go? Don't you want to move on? Whoa, whoa, what is that? Chuck asked. She stood up next to the screen and leaned in. Patrick and I saw it too. Behind Greg, in that corner by the door, something began to glow purple. It didn't take shape right away. At first, I thought it was just an amorphous mass of pulsing light, or maybe a reflection of the plasma glow. It's alright, come on out, Greg said. Suddenly, without anything touching the globe, the plasma converged into a single bolt of energy pointing past Greg at the glowing corner. Is that you, Jim? Greg asked. He had lost any hint of confidence. The shape in the corner glowed brighter, although it was clear Greg couldn't see it. Suddenly, I recognized the form it had taken. Flames. The shape in the corner had become an enormous pillar of purple fire. The globe started to glow brighter. We heard a squeaking sound not unlike a mouse. Then the globe cracked. Its entire surface became a spiderweb of fissures. Something popped and the whole room went black again. And Greg screamed in terror. The screen changed from black to blue, and the VCR automatically ejected the tape. We brought the first tape if you want to see what Jim was supposed to look like, Chuck offered. No, I don't want to see any more, Patrick said. We all stared at the closed door. I knew we were all wondering the same thing. We were wondering if what we had seen still lay behind it. It's not Jim we all jumped at the sound of the voice behind us. We spun around and saw Greg standing there, pale and thin as a ghost. "'Dad, how did you get down here?' Patrick exclaimed. He ran around the couch to assist his father. "'Did you hear him come down the stairs?' Chuck asked me. I shook my head. Impossibly the old man had come down without making a sound. "'Don't go in that room,' Greg said. He pointed to the closed door. "'I brought something here.' something, something. Greg's head snapped back and all of the air in his lungs left in an exaggerated moan that continued for almost 30 seconds. Patrick picked Greg up and laid him on the couch. Chuck and I stood back. When Greg's exhalation finally went silent, he remained still. He wasn't breathing. Dad? Patrick asked, putting a hand on his chest. The door to Greg's studio burst open as if forced by a heavy wind. At the same time, Greg's eyes opened. They were rolled back, showing only the whites. His back arched and his head turned toward us. He was smiling. In a high, breathy voice, Greg said, Jim was never here. I can't explain how, but we all knew it wasn't actually Greg speaking. Dad? I grabbed Patrick's shoulders. We should go, I said. Patrick just kept staring at his father. I said... I mean all of us. We all need to- Greg lowered his back again and slowly reached out his hand for Patrick. Patrick took the hand in his own, and Greg immediately tried to crush it. Gah! Patrick grunted as he tried to pull away. I could hear the bones in his hand snapping. Chuck and I acted together, each grabbing one of Patrick's shoulders and tugging him away. Greg's grip was impossibly strong. I don't think he had ever been that strong before, even when he was young and healthy- Finally, I'm sure after most of the bones in Patrick's hand were shattered, he was able to slip from Greg's grip, and we pulled him away. Greg stood up, but we were already halfway to the stairs. We ran up, through the door at the top. Greg was pounding up the stairs when Chuck slammed the door shut. All three of us pushed against it as Greg rammed into it once, twice, three times. Then we heard a sound that haunts me to this day. Something bumped heavily and unevenly down the stairs, and all sounds behind the door ceased. We waited for what felt like an hour, but was probably no more than two minutes before Patrick cracked open the door. Nothing happened. Patrick opened the door a little more, which allowed some of the upstairs light to shine down. And there, at the base of the stairs, were the crumpled remains of Gooly Greg. We heard a door slam down there, Whatever had possessed Greg had retreated back into the studio. I helped Patrick bring his father up the stairs, and we laid him on his bed. Chuck called an ambulance, but the paramedics were unable to revive the old man. We've kept in touch with Patrick Steeple. The house fell to him after his father died, but he doesn't live there. It just sits empty now. Well, as empty as it will ever be. Patrick has a priest come bless it every week, but the priest is unwilling to go in the basement. For good measure, Patrick also has an a-religious shaman cleanse the home weekly as well. The shaman also refuses to go near the basement steps. Both the shaman and priest, who don't know about each other, assure Patrick their blessings will keep any evil from coming up the stairs. So as far as we know, it's still down there, lingering in that corner by the door. I drove past the house just the other night. I had gotten off work late, and it was dark out. When I passed by, I had to stop. I didn't get out of my car because I felt safer inside it. I stopped because one of the egress windows that looked into the basement was glowing neon purple. I called Patrick and confirmed he was at his apartment. While we were on the phone, the purple light went out. you made it out. Congratulations. If you enjoyed the story, please rate and review this podcast wherever you like to listen. Reviews are the best way to support the podcast and help it grow. You can also become a patron at patreon.com slash the If you want more creepy content, including the images that accompany each story, follow me on Instagram at the warning Woods. If you feel ready, meet me here next week for another journey into the warning woods. Thank you for listening.
0: Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again